0: Today's episode is sponsored by Koji, the best link in bio tool for the musicians and creators out there. With Koji, you'll have access to hundreds of powerful mini apps to take your link in bio to the main stage. No coding, no websites. You have all your links in one place and can start promoting your work in minutes. You'll join over 185,000 creators who use Koji to scale their music brand. And best of all, Koji is free to use. Try it out for yourself go to koji.to slash Trapital podcast. That's K-O-J-I dot T-O slash Trapital podcast.
1: What the industry kind of, needs to understand is that people now like require that flexibility because you know so many creators understand different parts of the trajectory you know everybody's not necessarily trying to be you know at the pinnacle of you know a podcast or like on the front page of you know itunes every single day there are different levels some people are having the podcast they want it as a significant companion to maybe something else that they're building, and so they understand what place that podcast could fit into their life and into their, you know, brand or ecosystem.
0: Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip-hop culture to the next level. On today's episode, I'm joined by Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. They're the host of the podcast for Color Nerds, which peels back the layers of Black culture. I've been following Brittany and Eric's work for a while now, back when they had their podcast on Gimlet Media, The Nod, and they also had a Quibi show after that, and they recently relaunched their old podcast for Colored Nerds. So we talked about that, we talked about the journey and how Brittany and Eric have been so open and transparent about Podcast ownership and some of the back and forth challenges that have happened, not just with them, but with other podcasters, and ultimately what they hope to see in this industry in the future. We also talked a bit more about how they go about thinking of their content, some of the common themes that they'll discuss on the shows and one of the things that they discuss which is a topic I've often discussed on Trapital as well is Tyler Perry. If you've read Trapital you know that I'm more so talking about Tyler for what he's achieved from a business perspective which I've always found inspiring and great but on the content side it's a little different because I think many people do have some conflicting opinions about how he's gone about things that he put out and but also recognizing that there is an audience that Tyler has unapologetically been willing to serve and what that means for him as a business leader and how that obviously has led to his success. So, we talked a lot about that and we also talked more broadly about hip hop as well. Folks like us who I think grew up in the 90s and 2000s and may still resonate with so many of the artists from that era, how do we relate to current day hip hop and is it our place to relate to some of the current artists? So, we talk about that and a whole lot more. Here's my chat with Brittany Derek. All right, today we got Brittany and Eric from the For Colored Nerds podcast. Been a big fan. I've been following their work for a while and also their journey. And before we start, I do just want to say thank you to both of you because I feel like you've been so open about so much in the podcasting space. And I think a lot of people learned a lot from that. So thank you both. It was much appreciated.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, Yeah, it's been a It's been a
0: wild wild ride in this industry, but it's been good.
1: You know, can't complain.
0: Definitely. And I know for you that your journey has been well documented. You're back on the podcast that you had started years back with for Colored Nerds. And now you're with Stitcher. And I'd love to start there because I'm sure that you got hit up by a number of different outlets or networks that likely wanted to partner with y'all. What was it about Stitcher that made you want to work with them? Wow. There, I mean, I feel like
1: there was a lot. I mean, there, to your point, we, we did a bit of the tour, I guess <laughs> you could say, in terms of meeting with tons of distributors, you know, after our Quibi show kind of wound down after, uh, hell, after Quibi <laughs> wound down. <laughs> rather just
2: down if it happens all in the same day.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: But no, with Stitcher, I think
1: there were a few things that lined up pretty quickly. They were the only ones who kind of started, like, who started the conversation knowing that we were coming in with a desire to own our show, which is funny because, as to your point before, like, we have been very open about, like, some of the conflicts that we, you know, had around pursuing ownership in particular. And so I think, like, that Change the conversation in a way where we were then actually could talk more freely and comfortably about what we wanted the show to be, you know, because, again, there was not that fear of like, you know, will it be ours and will we maybe have to make something different, you know, after the fact if we don't own and kind of control that. So I think that was like one big piece of it. I'm curious, Brittany, like what you would add. I
2: mean, a big part of it, too, is like the team. I mean, one of the people... That we got to uh, you know talk with coming into Stitcher when we were just sort of in the initial feeling each other out stage is someone who turned out to be the cousin of someone we had met a few years ago and like hit it off with Natalie Mualum who's amazing she's at Stitcher and just made us feel comfortable from like moment one also Peter Clowney who is Eric knows his proper yeah. title. I feel terrible because I can't remember anyone's proper title (laughs) because Eric works at Stitcher as an executive and I am, but a lowly, what's the word I I get paid? A a vendor. I'm a vendor. And so I'm not always (laughs) privy that everything happens within the company. Peter Clowney, who is like, I think the VP of content at Stitcher, he was the very first editor that I ever had, like podcast editor, like the very first edit. Edit is like a term in podcasting where the team will sit and listen or be sent a version of an episode and leave comments and share them with each other in order to make the episode better and get to that next draft. The first time I ever did that, it was with Peter Clowney, and that was 2015. <laughs> so, you know, to have this full circle moment where in 2021, he's the person who's really extending the offer for us to come and join Stitcher, that just felt really right. Also, you know, when we first launched for Color Nerds with Stitcher, we had an incredible executive producer, Camille Stanley, who is yes. basically like a legend of public radio in St. Louis and is just a hell of an executive producer. She, I mean, she kept like the first I think we had her for what, maybe three, four months when we were first really ramping up. She yeah. kept things together and she kept things moving. It was a tight ship. Yeah, shift. and she was somebody who we had already we had been interviewed by before. I think the previous year with regard to rights and ownership and IP and everything like that. She is just a fantastic journalist and and just was such an amazing guide. So it was just so amazing to have this experience where we had so many sharp people who we had either met before, had a relationship with before, or had like a meaningful link to coming in. And it just kind of made things feel a lot more familiar. And also too, they were just fast. They're just fast. They were like, you know, (laughs) they they followed up. They were fast and they were I don't know. I mean, I think in so many areas of life, like somebody, like the person who's just eager to follow up with you and eager to form that connection or cement that relationship, it's usually the person that you want to go with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I hear the relationship side of it. I also hear the ownership side of it, too. And especially with the way things are shifting now, sometimes it's still so shocking that it is still such a charged or controversial thing for whether it's podcasters, writers or creators in any type of shape to want. I mean, you're coming in, you have a base, you have plenty of leverage. Like, how is this still one of these discussions where they want 100% of the thing and there's not even a discussion about shared or what that could look like? And I mean, it's not just you all. We see this at the highest levels, whether it's I think it was Michaela Cole when she was talking about I may destroy mm-hmm. you and she was going back and forth, mm-hmm. whether it was with Netflix or HBO on wanting a slice like this is something something that is clearly a challenge and a difficult thing for people at every scale of this game.
1: I mean, the industry is shifting. And, you know, depending upon what side of the creator versus like, you know, distributor network you're on, you maybe view how fast that industry is shifting differently, you know? And it's something that I think that, you know, the industry has to do a better job at understanding. People are not, people are more literate about uh, the trials and tribulations and pitfalls that you can run into trying to create something and trying to create something that like is distributed to other people, whether podcasts, movies, music, you know, know—I'm what I'm saying like we all have the same Internet and like we've all read the stories and the features. And so people know more of what to ask for and, you know, the reasons they might have received before about why they, you know, could not or maybe should not deserve like, you know, the, the rights to their own content are starting to, you know, finally feel frivolous. And so, you know, I think that thing is changing. I think it is still, though, a game of leverage. And it still, you know, depends on what you have in your corner, sadly, to be able to kind of push the issue, you know, with the distributor, with just whoever you're partnering with to be able to get what you want. And yeah, there sadly is still a lot of road. We got, you know, reached out to today about this same, this yeah. very same issue. And it's that's something that happens fairly frequently. So there's a lot of
0: work that still has to happen. And on that note, is it people reaching out to you, asking you for advice to be like, hey, I know you all went yeah. through this. Any thoughts for yes. me? Yes, I mean, yeah.
2: emails, text messages, phone calls, DMs. I had somebody reach out to me via text on behalf of one of their friends yesterday wondering about the same thing. And I, I mean, there's, you know, we, we try to give as much advice as we can, but at the end of the day, the best advice that you can get in those situations definitely comes from like a legal professional. Typically, yeah. <laughs> those are the people that you want to defer to.
1: We are not those. We are not
2: <laughs> those. That's why sometimes I podcast people like, what would you guys do? And I'm like, you know what? I am not in the business of giving legal advice, but my biggest piece of legal advice is to get a lawyer. But yeah, I mean, Obviously, I share a little bit more people than than that. But yeah, I think because we've been so open, sometimes people that we do not even know will reach out to us out of the blue just to be like, hey, this is something that I know that you went through. Do you have 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes to talk with me and kind of guide me through this process? I mean, I will say the thing that I always say, I always say, which is that these contracts should not be so difficult that a regular Mm -hmm. person could not pick up and read them. I think that there's obviously, how do I put it? I mean, a barrier to being able to have a fair contract is having the financial resources and also the institutional knowledge, relationships to be able to get a lawyer. Like that's something that we did not have. I don't think I know when I first started working at Gimlet back in 2015, I didn't have the financial resources (laughs) to hire a lawyer. Yeah. It wasn't an option. I wouldn't have known how to find an entertainment lawyer because before then, I was working as like, I mean, marketing manager was the title, but that didn't line up with what I was doing at my job. So yeah, I wouldn't have had like the relationships, the understanding. I wouldn't have known how to find an entertainment lawyer. And I definitely didn't have the money coming into working there to have that. So I think that like, you know, there is a certain level of like, we're all being finessed a little bit (laughs) by the fact that people have to get... Not feel like they have to, but really truly have to have agents and lawyers and money up front to be able to spend on having somebody basically be their pit bull and get into the ring and fight for the contract that they deserve.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with podcasting specifically because I look at the music industry or even with writing to some extent. I have seen a few more of these hybrid models where it's, okay, you can release your music on this platform. We offer a little bit more of a distribution push and a little bit more of a network per se than you would get if you just did it solely on your own, but you could still maintain the ownership. We just get, you know, set cut of whatever it is. And we've seen this in music, whether it's record labels like Empire that started with a similar type of mindset or some of the others, even with writing, I'm starting to see some creative things, but with podcasting specifically, and maybe part of it's just, I haven't seen it myself with what I've seen, but I still haven't quite seen that network that is being ready to be like front and center, to be like, hey, we are here. If you want to do a exclusive deal, but you maintain your ownership and we do a licensing deal, we can do that. Or if you want to have a set split, this is what our network is known for. I haven't quite seen that same thing in podcasting. And obviously, I know part of the challenge is the value is the ownership Mm -hmm. that they have because then they can go get sold to whoever. But I think part of me is still waiting to see that. Like, is that going to be a standard for one of the next, you know, rising networks? I mean, that we, we are to waiting
2: see. to see that. Too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everybody's watching. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look,
1: there are networks. I mean, for us where, you know, even Stitcher, I don't say this, you know, to not trying to be like a corporate show but like, you know, we engage a bunch of different types of deals. Yeah, I work as a creative executive there. And you know, so what that means is like there are some things that we you know own outright. There are some things that, or I say we Stitcher. There are some things that Stitcher owns outright. There are some things that you know they license, you know, and just rep the ads. There are some things that you know are hybrid. I think what you know, one even that for what its worth is actually can be rare to have all those different types of like deals. But I think in general, what the industry kind of needs to understand is that people now like require that flexibility because, you know, so many creators understand different parts of the trajectory. You know, everybody's not necessarily trying to be, you know, at the pinnacle of, you know, a podcast or like on the front page of, you know, iTunes every single day. There are different levels. Some people are having the podcast. They want it as a significant companion to maybe something else that they're building. And so they understand what place that podcast could fit into their life and into their, you know, brand or ecosystem. And the, you know, the company that is willing to like be most flexible to that is going to get that person, you know, like because they're creating that comfort. They're creating that like space to say, like, I want to work with you. So much of, you know, entertainment what people haven't realized is behind the scenes. It's not necessarily, I want to work with you. They kind of want you to work for them, (laughs) you know? And to that degree, like, you know, your contract reflects that. And I'm so excited by the shift that I see kind of happening in all entertainment related industries. We're seeing a lot more, hell, sports too. You know, we just see a lot more creator or athlete-led, you know, like deals, but things where basically the power and the leverage is becoming more equal, slowly.
2: (laughs) But I think the thing that's tricky for me is the deals that are fair and reasonable exist. And I'll say that we received a pretty good one from Stitcher. I mean, like from Jump, when we received the contract, it was like all fit on one page, double, triple space. It was mostly in plain English. I understood it when I read it and we felt good about it and it felt like like it was befitting of like how much Eric and I put into the show and who really owns it and i'll say like it it was really nice to get that deal now but my hope is like you know people are like when will we get there what do you think there is <laughs> there for me quote unquote there for me is when me and Eric back in 2014 when we first started the show would have been handed a deal like the one we got last year in 2021 And so, like, or even back in 2017, when we first launched The Nod, me and Eric at that point would have been given new contracts (laughs) because The Nod was very clearly Mm. a show that was really the DNA. It was based off of for colored nerds. Come on. A show about black culture hosted by me and Eric. Nah, we based it off of something else. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's what it was. I think that that to me is like when the equity has really gotten there and it is going to take time. I wish that it didn't take time, but it is gonna take time. But even, I'll say this though, there are people usually like white, a lot of times male. And I was gonna say like, usually they have a large following, but sometimes it's like, I don't even know if that's what's going into the business decision that's being made when somebody, you know, offers like some white guy who has a podcast, a bunch of money to be able to like make that thing forever. Or gives that person a really good deal or some sort of like exclusive, you know, whatever. There are people who have been getting fair deals all this time. <laughs> I just would like to see sort of like the bar for that either be lowered or just like, when I say lowered, I mean just like allowing more people in. Right now, the bar is basically like, are you white? Are you a guy? Are you famous? <laughs> or like, you have thoughts yeah, thoughts and Do you want to share them on the microphone? <laughs> I would like to see sort of, rather, I would like to see that avenue broadened. And that's what I mean. When we're there, like success for me, is just like not having to have relationships years in the game or be like a white guy mm, yeah. with a podcast to be able to get access to the type of deal that we have now.
0: Yeah. And I think that framing makes complete sense, right? When you would first started this and had the idea, you should have had this in place. And then further, when you're signing a deal with Gimlet or even, you know, with a Quibi or whoever, there's enough, not just, you know, layman's terms, but there's also just enough commonality that those things can happen. And I think that also makes me think a bit about the show itself and maybe just some of the slight differences between The Nod and For Colored Nerds. The Nod, at least in my impression, is always a bit more like, hey, here is the latest thing that is happening right now in Black culture and here's our take on it. Let's let's discuss it. I think For Colored Nerds has that as well, but I think you also mix in some evergreen topics that have always coming in, which I think I always enjoy hearing and I'm curious from your perspective, how has the process been about determining the topics and that balance? Because I'm sure there's the evergreen topics that you may want to hit. There's also the timely things that likely you may want to dive into. But then you also, you know, have things that you're just personally interested in compared to what you may know the audience would really want to hear or what, you know, would drive engagement. So, yeah. How is the balancing that piece of it been for you? Let's take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. Let's talk more about today's sponsor, Koji. If you're still using a Linktree link in your bio from a few years ago, it's time to level up. Most of those links take your followers outside of the app that they were in, and the experience is clunky. It makes them less likely to see your amazing work and engage with it. That's why Koji built the next generation LinkedIn bio platform and app store, With hundreds of built-in mini apps, your audience never has to leave the social media platform they were browsing or download a new app. Koji was designed specifically for the artists, producers, podcasters, and creators out there. It's home to many chart-topping artists, Grammy winners, and more that use the platform to share their latest releases and highlight the artists on their roster. I met the founders, Dimitri and Sean, at an event in San Francisco here a couple months back. I was impressed by the product and I'm excited to see what they do with their new $20 million funding round. Go check out Koji for yourself. That's koji.to slash Podcast. That's koji.to slash Podcast. You don't know how timely that question is.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> we are always kind of managing our relationship with it. It is a balance and it's a conversation that is kind of always happening. I think to start where you did in terms of the comparison, I think how we thought about the nod is more so we were trying to reflect what we saw. And I think the for colored nerds is more definitively how we think, if that makes any sense. I, and, and I don't know, Brittany, you might disagree, but yeah, it's just what kind of came to it right now. Yeah. but. When we're thinking about that conversation, basically how we think and how to reflect that to our audience, you know, we are looking at things that like could or either maybe a lot of things start evergreen and become more topical, if that makes any sense. Because also that's kind of how I think our conversations often work. We're just kind of talking about things that we've noticed or things that we've seen and they start to kind of build momentum towards like something that could be like on the show. And like with it, for example, we consume dating reality shows at a unhealthy clip. We are committed to the genre. And, you know, we're always kind of talking about like what we saw, how we feel about, you know, any given show or episode. And it's starting to kind of come to, wait, I have this idea that feels like it connects kind of like what I think about all those things. And then Brittany would be like, or, you know, I actually had this idea. I was thinking this. And so we start to build that for the episode. And then as we get closer to, you know, having the conversation, we start to realize that like, okay, well, what are the things happening right now that relate to this larger conversation? How can we incorporate that? And, you know, that changes things as well. So we're always shuffling, <laughs> Jesus, always shuffling our calendar because that process changes. You know, you might the evergreen thing might need more time to become a little topical. The topical thing, you know, feel too much like a flash in a pan, need to be more evergreen. So, you know, shout out to our producer, Alexis, for, <laughs> you know, really Like, just kind of rolling with how much of the changes we, you know, sometimes need to make to the schedule. But if we're in conversation with our audience, we want to make sure that we're reacting to that in as healthy a way as possible.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tricky just because, like, on one hand, I don't know, podcasting is so interesting in that it is one of the few truly long form digital media. Do you know what I mean? Like, other than maybe like, Reading long-form journalism, which I think we've learned over time. Not everybody does. (laughs) I think that's part of the reason why we've gotten to the place that we are in society right now. Podcasts are digital. And so on on some level, they can feel kind of ephemeral. But they live on the internet for so long in like a well-indexed, centralized place. And they are long. People will listen to two hours. I mean, people. I mean, me. I will listen to two hours sometimes of just BS, like nothing, like people just talking about old gossip. Like, I have no problem. That for me is something that I totally enjoy. And there are so many, the success of so many shows out there is really just people wanting to listen to someone talk sometimes, regardless of whether it's evergreen or of the moment. And so it's tricky because like we do find ourselves straddling that line a lot of the time. Sometimes I think we manage to like really kind of like get it really right and hit something at that moment where it just yeah. feels really fresh, you know, and really like well thought out even though it's coming out like right as the moment that so- like something is kind of cresting out there in the zeitgeist. But I mean, that still is kind of like at odds with how we think about engaging some of the topics that we do on our show. You know, we try to be thoughtful, we try to be careful in making sure that we're expressing ourselves in a way that's clear, in a way that's not going to be harmful to others, in a way that's going to be entertaining. And that does take time. So sometimes, you know, Sometimes we'll be chasing our tails a little bit, (laughs) just trying to get stuff out the door. Yeah, But I don't know. It's like we try to have even some of our most topical episodes still have that sustenance to them that will get somebody to want to, you know, come back and listen to it for a second, third, fifth time or even discover it three, four months down the line. Even our most topical of the moment episodes. Have that extra something to them that keeps people, you know, feeling engaged long after the moment of that episode has passed.
0: For me, the episode that you all did that I think hits that exact point. Brittany is the girl boss in the city (laughs) episode. I feel like when I heard that, I wanted to listen because I was like, "Wait, is this what I think she means by the term?" Okay, let me listen to it. Then when I heard, I was like, "Okay, I see the trend. That makes sense." Okay, like, and then you know, just hearing you know your take, and I know you know just some of the other examples i'm like yes like that makes 100% sense and i think what makes it resonate not just is it the trend itself but it also i think as a listener me makes me think about okay what are some other trends that are like that because i think so many of the things that we may think may be celebratory especially in this past 6 years where i think we've seen a great influx of more black media more black representation especially whether it's with your Netflix or with your streaming services. That said, there are still plenty of, you know, opportunities and holes and tropes and things to push back on. So I've been thinking about that piece ever since you all put that episode out. (laughs) Thank
1: you. you Yeah,
0: it was one of those things. Most
1: of our episodes, also when we're making them, I I don't know if Brittany feels this way, but I often feel a bit kind of crazy because we'll have an idea It's not like we don't really deal in hot takes. That's kind of why Brittany was like, you know, we take our time. We try to make sure we're, you know, fair. We do our research. And so, you know, sometimes when we come up on a thing where we're like, okay, now this is the take. And we, you know, like it's, we see this trend, we feel like we can define it. And then there's that moment actually right after in between having recorded or talked through the episode that we're going to record and it coming out where I feel crazy because now I'm like, I see it everywhere. And it doesn't, it's like... You know, like almost like they live where you have the sunglasses <laughs> on, you see like people as aliens. It's kind of like that. And so, you know, with that episode, it's really exciting to kind of make those types of connections uh, because th- like that genre, I have been consuming not as a genre I have been just like catching pieces of it. And it wasn't until like being in conversation, you know, with Britney that I'm realizing, wait, this is a genre. And, you know, when you're thinking about that, that means something might change in terms of how you consume it. And so, like, you know, a lot of the surprise I had, or like I was, you know, Britney was explaining this thing or how she feels about her genre. But for it's worth as you hear me, I'm coming to it. You know what I'm saying? Like I am embracing it to kind of formulate my own ideas. And I think, you know, I think the audience appreciates being able to hear kind of both sides of that. Like the person who has like, you know, who feels like they they know their sh- I know my shit. I have figured it out. I see it. And then that person is like, well, wait, actually, oh shit, you might be right. <laughs> like, you know, like that tug of war. I think can be really, really funny. And it happens in so many different ways, like, you know, back and forth, which is, you know, part of what's so fun about show.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that you responded to that episode because like sometimes we'll be putting stuff out and it's like, okay, I know this is interesting to me. <laughs> but like, you know, like I'm going out here on a limb talking about, you know, all these white women on sex in the city on this. For colored nerds show, you know, I'm like, how are people going to respond? Even We did an episode more recently about like and me looking at like moms throughout pop culture and how like my favorite mom on TV right now is Pamela Adlon on Better Things, a white woman. And I'm like, I tweeted before the episode came out. I was like, look, Monday's episode is going to be about one of my favorite white women, but I need y'all to trust me. And it came out on March 1st and someone tried to catch me. They were like, you do to do this during Black History Month. And I was like, it's going to be March 1st. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a little it's a little (laughs) stressful to think about, you know, like we have so many conversations, me and Eric and also us with Alexis, Williams, our producer, like we have so many conversations as a team, just like pinging things back and forth. We have a group chat where we send like articles, messy stuff from the Internet, Twitter beef. (laughs) And like kind of talk about those things. It said when we have episodes like that. It sometimes feels like you're, we're like letting people into like, I don't know, it's like opening up your medicine cabinet or your like utility closet for somebody. Mm. It's like, I'm going to show you something might be a little weird, but we'll see how you respond. So it's really nice to hear from you, like w- w- as somebody who is like both has their finger on the pulse of what's happening sort of like in media and entertainment. But also you don't strike me as much of a girl boss, but it's nice to know that you felt <laughs> the episode as well.
1: The other thing you spoke to the moment a bit. And I think it's important to kind of come back to that, like the kind of the moment that we're in. You know, I think a part of also why we were so excited to return to the show, you know, like for us, I was actually we were I was talking about this with a friend yesterday. Like I start I'm watching this. I'm watching the changes in media, people coming into the space, making stuff that. Like, to be frank, I've always kind of dreamed of seeing or listening to. And the thing that I'm so happy about is that, you know, I don't know how to shut off the brain, the part of my brain that's trying to understand where it's headed and figure out how I feel about it. And so, you know, it's so awesome to kind of have that space where we can do that. And I think even one of the things we realized is that looking kind of back at, you know, both the nod and for Colored Nerds, we were doing a version of kind Mm -hmm. of that same thing. We've often talked about it feeling a bit like a time capsule. And so, you know, I'm happy that you came to this, came to Girl Boss in this moment because I'm also so curious about where it goes. And like, then we can, you know, even selfishly, I can look back and kind of be like, listen to that be like, oh, it's so interesting that that's where we were considering like wherever we end up, because look at the news. Hell, it's going to like, we have no idea. The world is crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think the time capsule piece is a great way to put it because, yeah, as you put it, we are in this era where so much is changing right now with black Mm -hmm. media and Who knows what we may be talking about in 2025, right? Maybe there's a different type of trope. Maybe things are better and there's, you know, less, you know, of a need to dig into tropes. But I think there's one thing that I do think about that will probably always be a bit of a time capsule itself, maybe not just for you all, but in general of like how we look at it. And maybe I guess I'd call it the perception of Tyler Perry (laughs) and the content that he puts out him as a business person. Yes. I think we could probably do consider I know he's been a common theme on your shows and going back and listening to someone else can probably reflect maybe where I don't want to say the culture because people have such a wide opinion of Tyler Perry, even within mm-hmm. the black community. Oh, yes. But it's interesting because I think that you all could probably relate to maybe how I think about him and what he's built, because on one hand, it is so impressive to see this person that literally built what he was able to create and given the circumstances. And as a black business leader, it is inspiring to see that. On the other hand, as people like me that often live on Twitter too long, every few days, there's some type of clip that's like, no, Tyler Perry Studios has to be shut down because it's some clip of someone wiling out and doing something ridiculous that would never be seen on any other type of broadcast. And you're like, what the fuck is this? But that's part of the amazingness of it. And I mean, I could go on for days about it, but yeah, where are you both right now with your thoughts you asked on Tyler Perry? In the end
2: of that question, with right now, it's,
0: yeah, because your timing
2: the, <laughs> over the course of the week, my feelings swing like mm-hmm. a pendulum about how I feel about Tyler Perry. <laughs> like on one hand, I mean, I'll say this: like I think the older I get and the more his legacy like continues on, I really enjoy the camp of Tyler Perry. Tyler yeah. Perry. Like, almost has, no, 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 not almost. Tyler Perry has absolutely no shame. Tyler Perry is one of the most shameless performers I've (laughs) ever seen in my entire life. He leaves it all on the floor. He holds literally nothing back, like, at all. I don't even think he has an unexplored idea in his mind. I think he literally has an idea. I think he takes action on each of them. And I think that we've seen them immediately. immediately as soon as possible. So, like, I don't know. There's something about, like, him just not giving a shit that I really connect to and him just like leaning in and doing whatever he can to entertain people, maybe second himself first, I think. I love that. Like I think that, that it's amazing. When Tyler Perry also shows up in somebody else's movie and is acting, like I had never seen Gone Girl until like two years ago. And I watched it and I found myself saying, this is just like a white Tyler Perry movie. And then... He was in the movie, yeah. playing a regular person, like he's in the Star Wars. I think it's a Star Wars movie, played a regular person. Uh, yeah. like I think that is so funny, and I kind of
1: well, oh, he's a yeah, giant,
2: giant. Like, it's funny that he like on <laughs> the level. Like I think he kind of knows he's ridiculous, and I like that. I also like you know we said a bunch of things about like how his content is like it's a very accessible in every sense of the word. And also like the, he like does make family entertainment, which like, when you think about like when we get together, black folks get together to watch movies or play games or have, you know, Christmas dinner or whatever, whatever we're going to turn on after that, you kind of do want that multi-generational entertainment that's got a little something for everybody, maybe slightly risque with a Christian message. (laughs) It serves a purpose. And he's put so many black actors and not writers. But what I would say is something that I found out is that like crew people, like basically like if you're on Tyler Perry crew, if you're an editor, you're a gaffer or whatever, from what I understand, you're making good money. Like he'll pay you in Atlanta what you would get paid in New York or L.A. So it's weird. It's like I have such complex feelings about him because obviously like he doesn't employ writers at all, which is pretty clear. Even if you didn't know that for a fact, I think it's pretty evident from the work he doesn't employ writers at all. I mean, there's so much to be said about his content and what some people might think of as like it being harmful or holding Black people back or engaging stereotypes, especially stereotypes about Black women. I mean, all of that stuff is true. But I do find Tyler Perry interesting as somebody who like has built an honest business. What I mean when I say honest business is like. He knows exactly what people want from him and he gives it to people consistently. Mm-hmm. He knew somehow that, like, if people would watch me playing Medea, a completely made up of character, if people would watch <laughs> grainy bootleg DVDs of me playing Medea in gospel stage plays with their families. They absolutely would buy a $15, $20 movie ticket. They absolutely would go to see me and, in person, like on tour. And they absolutely would tune in if I was on Oprah. And that was a pretty smart way to build a brand if you look back at it. That's what I mean when I say that Tyler Perry has an honest business. He provides exactly what he has always promised. And there is something compelling about that. That's where I am today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can fully, I, it's almost like I can't quit mm. him completely, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, to Brittany's point, there's so much, he's a, accomplished so much and it's so fascinating how he uses that, those accomplishments to facilitate like where there's growth, his own growth, the mm-hmm. growth of the company, where, or like the growth in, this, in the medium, whatever. And it's just so hard to pin down his reasons, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? In terms for any one thing, but you can't, help, but be fascinated by it. Like, yeah, it's one of those people like I respect what he's accomplished so much. And, you know, they're even don't get twisted. Like another big piece of this is like I try to have very complex thoughts about what I want the world to be. and I try to educate myself. I try to really, you know, say like do the work of understanding who I want to be in the world. But I also try not to be above it all, if that makes any sense. And I think like with Tyler Perry, sometimes people can like turn their nose, like the folks who enjoy his content because of, you know, all the things that come along with it. But also, like, we can't lose the fact that like people are being moved by this in some way. And I try not to be above that. I try to meet them where they're at. Would I challenge him to maybe make a few changes? <laughs> Absolutely. If I had the opportunity, you know, do I think that like, you know, maybe even those people who are in his audience deserve a tiny bit better? Absolutely. But guess what? They're happy. And, you know, like that it gives me the thing that I can connect with that, you know, cousin who I only see at the family reunion or, you know what I'm saying? Like on, well, hell, more recently, the family <laughs> Zoom call or whatever we're doing, you know, nowadays, like it gives me that thing that I know I can connect with them about, you know, and I send my thoughts about everything else related to the movie to the group <laughs> text, you know? So, yeah, you got to respect it.
0: Even though, you also maybe have to critique yeah. it. A hundred percent. I mean, look at how he's gone about just being unapologetic. I think back to that clip that he had with Kenya Barris, where Kenya Barris has said something to the effect of, you know, I'm always making shows and I'm trying to seek white people's approval or Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. And Tyler Perry's like, I don't give a fuck about Rotten Tomatoes or any of this stuff. Like I'm making it for Literally. the people I'm making it for, right? And then you see Tyler Perry, like two years later, getting honored by the Oscars institution that he's said, I do not care what they have to say. Like, (laughs) this is how he's built himself. And there is something amazing with that. Right. And Eric, I do like the point that you brought up regarding how it can be easy for people, especially within, you know, black folks to turn their nose up or look down on the people that clearly enjoy this content. And in some ways it also makes me think of no different than how in you know the most recent election in the primaries people were turning their nose up at some of the black voters in the south and who they supported as the you know democratic candidate and it's like no like you can't just you know play this elitistness of how people look at their content and i think there is you know to your point as well britney a beauty and who else can relate i mean I've talked to my mom about Tyler Perry and, you know, she's a you know, Jamaican woman <laughs> in her 60s and, you know, she'll watch Meet the Browns and sees no problem with it. And I think, you know, it's great that she does that. Right. And I think, you know, just being able to have that kind of common place is like, a, OK, yes, glad this exists. I'm still going to laugh when somebody takes a clip of it and <laughs> posts it on Twitter and be like, what the hell is this? But no, I mean, to
2: this day, sometimes me and my fiance just turn on. The dinner scene, like the dinner reveal scene from Why Did I Get Married? I mean, you could just turn that on any time of day and you'll be laughing for 15 minutes okay. straight. I'm sorry. That was a good movie. When I first started dating my fiance, I think maybe about five weeks into us dating. Five weeks in, I got the flu. And he took care of me, which is like a, you know, thing that definitely set him apart. But the thing that he did... Is like the first thing that he did was turn on. Why did I get married? He was like, oh, you're sick of bed. Let me turn on this Tyler Baron movie. It's going to put you in a better place. And he was absolutely right. There's something about that stuff that's just it's comforting.
0: It works. It just it works. definitely does. It definitely does. All right. Well, before we let you go, I want to talk a bit about hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, this is an area that I do cover with the podcast and been this interesting thing for me because both have my personal interest of someone that, like anyone, the music I grew up listening to in high school and college definitely will always have a special place for me. But I'm covering now and looking at a lot of people whose music I may not necessarily seek out, but I still, you know, I'm following to make sure that I can, you know, not just be as subjective as I can, but obviously, you know, it's hard not to do that. But I guess it's people that are also in the media space and, you know, also, you know, I guess including both hip hop and R&B together. It'd be good to hear, you know, what's your relationship like with current music made by current artists compared to the music that also may have been popular when you were in Mm. high school or college? What is that relationship like for you? It's funny. We've been talking talking about this a little
1: bit just as a group, as a show team, this exact point, at least for me, you know, it's a really kind of interesting moment because like, I was somebody, you know, back in the, oh man, this is going to make me sound real old. But like in the like blog era, hip hop time, you know, I was like, I caught every not right post. You know what I'm saying? Like I was literally because I had Google readers, I would make sure to click every one, listen to like first 30 seconds of the mixtape or whatever to see if I liked it. And then, you know, kind of come back to listen more later. I ain't got time for all that now, you know, like (laughs) there's just too much going on. And so, you know, I found myself at the place where I have learned that like a lot of people get like once they kind of hit their mid 30s, they actually start apparently retreating to the things that made them most comfortable. So I feel myself doing that. But also to your point, like I feel flitted about it because I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not trying to tap out. I'm not trying to like push myself back from the table. You know, what I'm, saying? I'm still here. And so, you know, I do try to catch some of the kind of newer artists who are kind of coming out and watch again for the trends of what I see. And so, you know, I'll still try to listen a little bit on like Fridays when stuff comes out. Like I'm trying to like hear a little bit, but not all the time. Like there have been folks who have kind of risen above and often it's the folks kind of connected to the people, to the artists who I kind of evangelized from a little bit before. So like Baby Keem, for example, I've been like a huge fan of like, you know, some of his like tracks that come out on the album. He obviously, you know, is Kendrick's cousin, you know. But just like those kind of folks who are kind of in the orbit of others that I know I can feel most confident about in terms of whether the sound is going to be kind of what I'm looking for. Because also hip hop is really changing and like, you know, it's changing around me in a way that I don't always connect with. But I respect that power and the fact that like you know, it's a living, breathing thing. It's going to become something else. And so, you know, I'm trying to understand a little bit of the trajectory of kind of where they're going to be able to just understand how my relationship to it is changing. So, yeah, it's a complicated time. I'm not like, I think I told Brittany this. I, in this moment, listen to more R&B than I have ever in my life. And are we talking about modern, like, R&B artist
0: or All like R&B from back in the day? All of it. I'm okay. talking
1: about, you know, like everything from the, hell, that re-release of uh, Hotels to, you, you know, Jasmine Sullivan to, you know, going back and I have a literally, I call it like old people cookout music. That playlist has been get that playlist has been putting in work for me, you know? So it really runs the range. And some of that comes from just like the volatility of the world right now, you know? But I don't want to say that, like, I don't know. I think hip hop reflects more than what we can consume. And so what I have been seeing recently has sometimes stressed me out, you know? And so I've found myself leaning on other genres, but I do still have hope that they're going to swing back. And there's probably going to be somebody else. Hell, everybody's talking about Kendrick coming back this year. So maybe, you know, he can inspire some folks. We'll
2: We'll see see. if he goes back.
1: Sorry, I rambled.
2: As far as music, so I really like music that I can sing along to. And uh, kind of what Eric was saying, like, I like listening to things that like, especially like I like listening to at this point in my life, rap and hip hop that makes me feel aspirational. And I feel like Female rappers right now are the only people who are rapping about things that actually you'd want to do. <laughs> they're like, oh, I want, you know, That's they're right. basically like, I want to have sex with a really hot guy. I want to make a lot of money. I want to buy expensive things. And I want to go on a trip. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I mean, I identify with that. And so, like, they say it in a really poetic way and they put it over <laughs> a great beat. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. This I understand. They're always just like, I'm so fly. I'm so cute. I'm so beautiful. I'm a bad bitch. That to me, it it never goes out of style. I think that sometimes when I hear some of the young, these young men, everything is like zanny, zanny, zanny. And my thought is like, I know I'm getting really getting older because I'm just like, oh my God, y'all are stressing me out. Like, are you drinking water? Are you taking breaks? Do you have a trip, buddy? Like you should not be taking all these zanny bars by yourself and being in a club and not telling anybody this is not safe. But also like, Some like I want to listen to things that are going to like make me feel good or ease my stress. And I think to Eric's point right now, I don't feel like listening to a lot of the younger male artists at this point eases my stress. That's not to say that I don't think that there's quite a few people that I hear that I'm like, oh man, this sounds really good or this sounds interesting. But I also don't follow music as much as I used to when I was younger. I was kind of into like some of like the blog hip hop. I used to follow Blind Eye for the Kids and I was always downloading all the stuff and listening to it. And it was fun, but like, I didn't have like the type of bills I have now. I have more energy. I'm tired Mm -hmm. now. And so I think even sometimes deciding to try something new feels like it can take energy out of me when I'm like, I could just go straight to something that I know that I'm really going to enjoy. Yeah. So because I love music that I can sing along to, I have always been a pretty strong R&B listener. My parents are really into r and I've actually found myself. Enjoying present r and and real, like real good singers like a Jasmine Sullivan, an Ari Lennox, a mm-hmm. Jojo, like people who really can sing. I do like to listen to their music. I love pop, but, you know, speaking specifically to slightly close to the hip hop, I've been listening to a lot of older r and stuff that like I will hear on like a 70s mix or something like that. And it'll like take me back to being in the car with my parents on a Saturday night coming home from one of their friends' parties hearing like a quiet storm set on the radio. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard this song in 25 years. Mm -hmm. Like I've been listening to a lot of that stuff. And I don't know, it just puts me in a good state. And I feel like some of it really just speaks to my emotions, maybe that I'm experiencing as in like, as I'm getting deeper into adulthood, as I'm like a real, real adult now at 34, when I wasn't really at 27 or 24, 22. I think that there's like a I don't know, like something about where the melody hits the lyrical complexity. It's just, I don't know. I understand basically now why my parents were like 35, 40 and listening to Angela Beaufill <laughs> late at night, driving us to fourth places. So, I mean, but what I will say is that my opinion on what music is popping right now, I'm actually, I don't care that much about my opinion. Even if I don't listen to everything, mm. I really want to know what young people are responding to because I think what they think of their music is a lot more important than what I think of their music. Like, it's fine to me that, like, I don't connect with it. Because it's not me- I'm not meant to connect with it. Like, my time of wearing, you know, as the kids say, like, the Olivia Pope business casual in the club. I had a satin vest from Forever 21. <laughs> I wore to a party at Rutgers in 2007. Those days are behind me, thankfully. But, yeah, I think, I don't know. That's why part of the reason why I like TikTok. the TikTok like playlists, or even just like seeing what's hot on the charts. Yeah, it keeps me up with like artists that young people are like super into. And also even sometimes on TikTok, there'll be people who are way younger than me, like 10, 15 years younger who like make sort of like top five artists I'm listening to right now. And I get to hear snippets of their Mm -hmm. music. Like I'm just interested in what they think about their music because like honestly, what they think about their music and how it speaks to them, that says a lot more to me about their, like where culture is headed and what they're into than like me listening to something and being like, what the hell is this? You know, I'm auntie now and it's fine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the exact point there. I think that I like in my few group chats, people will do this thing every year. Someone will post the annual XXL (laughs) freshman class. And then they're like, Hey, do y'all even know any of these names in here? And I'm like, Bro, you're you're 39 with (laughs) two kids. They're not meant for you. Like, this literally (laughs) isn't meant for you. And so I think about that piece, right? And maybe even more so now, it's like, I think that some of these artists, the same way that media in general is just becoming more niche, they know their audience. They're leaning into Mm -hmm. it even more so than maybe some of the forced mass marketing that they would have been pushed to do, you know, 20, 30 years ago before. So,
1: yeah, folks are smarter. Like to your point, they're smarter. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to. And also how people think about what a hugely successful career in music is different Mm -hmm. slightly now. You know, like there is not actually the same scale as there used to be. Or if that scale exists, it's only for a much smaller amount of folks. So like, I think people are coming into the game now, the game, it's not like I'm trying to be cool, but like people are coming into hip hop now, trying to, you know, like sustain themselves and have a long career as opposed to always being, you know, trying to necessarily be like the person at like the top the charts and i think that actually is really great i think because again the sustaining is a part that is really interesting because we've seen so many of our you know favorite right rappers or musicians period just kind of like mm-hmm. burn themselves out or get burned by the industry and then they you know disappear after a few albums so yeah you know like be like i'm still shocked future is, is producing you he know does, he he's so had a long career has, but like thing. i think there are a lot of
2: He's got to very true,
1: very true. But, yeah, there's so many others. I'm like, I want them to be able to have the longevity in this space. Especially a lot of the kind of female rappers mm-hmm. out here now. I am excited to see them so in control of the business as well because of how like, you know, they're smart about what that's going to protect for them later on. Meg is like yeah. getting her shit together. She's like, y'all not about to run me out the paint. Like I know what the contract, the paper's
0: supposed to say. Mm-hmm. And she has her Popeyes franchises yep. set up yep. too. Hey. She's on it. The sauce was good. It was good. It wasn't too spicy. I had it wasn't it. too sweet. It was great. Yeah. Oh man. We could talk about you know, hip hop and dating vac all day, but I know we're run out of time, but before we let you go, I feel like that last point you made was probably a good note to just tie things up, right? People are getting smarter <laughs> about knowing their audiences, leaning into it. And I think that speaks a lot to what you both have been able to build over the years with For Colored Nerds, with The Nod, and then, you know, back with For Colored Nerds again. I think that having an audience that has been with you this long, just speaks to the work that you've done and all of that that goes into it. So thank you again for coming on. And I mean, both as a listener and as a fellow podcaster, it's been great to watch both of your charities. Thank so you. It's an again.
1: honor. This is great. Thank you so yeah. much. That was really nice.
0: Yeah, seriously. There's you do great work. work. I
1: re- I first started meeting you. An honor to be here. What
2: is that? You made this infographic like flowchart about Issa Rae's businesses and how they yeah, like right. how each one feeds the other, mm. like talking about why she still has the Patreon, how she's thinking about radio. And this was probably like three or four years ago or something like that. It was like instant follow. Yeah, <laughs> instant subscribe. So it's cool to like be here with you now.
0: <laughs> no, thank you. That means a lot. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups. Wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.